Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Given the chance, Howard Schultz will not agree to drop out if it looked like he was just pulling votes from Donald Trump. As we told you, he is a spoiler from day one. Let's hope he doesn't run, and if he does, let's hope he doesn't get much support. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. It's the middle of the week. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, February 13. Great to see you today. Day before Valentine's Day. Don't forget, huh? get out there, get your candy, get your cards, get your flowers, get your dinner reservations if you haven't already done so. Tomorrow, Valentine's Day. Today, the 13th, uh, we're coming to you from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our perch right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where yesterday uh, they started inking out the agreement in principle to keep the government open and to throw a little bit of money, undeserved, unneeded money to Donald Trump uh, for uh, new border security uh, with the hope that he will cave in and sign this and then uh, he can go try to find his money for the wall somewhere else. Uh, that process still underway. They hope to vote by Thursday night or Friday morning and then send it down to Donald Trump to uh, get him to sign it, thereby avoiding another Trump down, as we started calling it, um, which would hit otherwise Friday evening. We got lots and lots to talk about, a great lineup of guests. We look forward to hearing from you and what you think about the news of the day. Most importantly, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, and we will jump right in. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, the Academy Awards are coming up soon. I know. Yeah, not this weekend, but... uh... Still a couple of movies I haven't seen. I haven't seen The Star is Born yet. I really want to see that. And uh, um, what is Cold War? 
Yeah, I've seen that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, how, well are you, I assume you're going to watch the award show. I usually do. Well, here's the thing. But not the whole thing. No, no, no. No, no, no. You can't watch the whole thing, especially with our schedule. But it, it, if you are going to watch the entire award show, you're going to notice that four categories will be missing from the broadcast. Cinematography, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, and live action shorts. They are getting rid of the presentation for all of those awards because they want to make more money. They're putting in more commercial breaks. They're oh. putting in more commercial wow. breaks into. I thought that I thought it meant they were just going to shorten the program. No, no, no. They are. Not, you would like to think, but so. they could do some. You know, they could do some. I think they do do some of them ahead of time, don't they? They do. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Do. There are so many awards that you right. can't fit yeah. them all yeah. into one yeah. uh, TV broadcast. But this this got the attention of past uh, Oscar winners, including Guillermo del Toro, Alfonso Cuarón. And uh, other directors who said, you know, especially the cinematography is sort of, you know, uh, the heart of what a lot of these movies are all about. And now we're not going to be able to, to see them during the awards. I don't know. I always upset. like the makeup ones because, you know. Well, you're not going to see those either. Yeah. That's, that's one of the ones that are getting cut. So uh, there are some people very upset about that. And I think that's, I, I agree with them. A uh, milestone here for this country, and not a particularly great one. The national debt surpassed $22 trillion for the first time yesterday. Uh, thank you very much, Donald Paul Trump. Ryan, yes, Donald Paul Ryan, Trump, right, right. Mitch McConnell, <laughs> uh, all of the Republicans. All those fiscal conservatives. Yeah, exactly. Bob Corker. Again, it's important to point out this is the first time that we've ever gotten this high in terms of national debt. You but know you know what? what? They will not say a word about no. it. No. no way. No. This month alone, or January alone, the national debt jumped $30 billion in one month. If Hillary Clinton had been in office, oh my God. Right, we would be holding hearings up the gazoo right, yeah. about the debt. It would be the, the biggest crisis ever to face this country. All that, blah, 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 blah. They won't say a word. And th- a lot of economists say this is a very, very bad sign for the overall stability of the uh, American economy. All these fiscal conservatives, they're such frauds. Scary. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, it looks like we got a border deal, but did the Democrats give away too much? Yes. Any $1 for Donald Trump's phony, any kind of fencing, too much the Democrats gave to get this deal. What do you say, everybody? It is, hello, 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 first of all, it is Wednesday, February 13. And we welcome you to the program, to the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always. Our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, where we'll bring you up to date on not only on what's going on here in Washington, the latest from Virginia, right across the river, around the country, around the globe. We've got it covered, and we join you all around the globe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for watching us. Thanks for joining us. We also join you on television, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, all across this great land of ours, on on the radio, out in Chicago, on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel yesterday saying, hey, 
if Amazon, the people of New York don't want Amazon, we'll take them. We'll take them. <laughs> Come on down to Chicago. And Jeff Bezos may end up uh, end up having to do that as opposition uh, continues to build in New York, despite the efforts of Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio to um, settle this and make sure that they roll out the welcome mat for Amazon. So good to see you today. We want to hear from you what you think about the news of the day as we uh, travel through the news with you and with our guests. So send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Okay, I want to get one thing straight right from the very beginning. We got a little cleanup from yesterday here, uh, an update on the uh, crowd size. You know, Donald Trump is very interested in, uh, he's a sizist. Right? Wait, I thought we already knew the crowd size. Donald Trump told us what it was. Well, he did. He did. Okay. But he is a sizes. For him, yeah. everything's got to be bigger than anybody else's. Yeah. Um, every part of his anatomy and every part of his life. <laughs> um, so uh, the crowd, we know it all started with the inauguration. Uh, that crowd, uh, lie, big lie, uh, proven. And now, how about the crowd in El Paso that he had night before last? He told us how big a crowd he had in his auto, uh, arena there. But a young man who's got very little going for himself, except he's got a great first name. He is, he challenged us. So we have, let's say, 35,000 people tonight, and he has 200 people, 300 people, not too good. Oh, so so that, there that it is. It. All right, he that settles it. it. It's yeah. true. Donald Trump, 35,000, Beto, two to 300. Okay. The El Paso Fire Department yesterday released the actual numbers. They did the count. They're in charge. They decide how many people can get inside of a building and how many cannot. Uh, the count for Donald Trump, 6,500. Oh, yikes. Not 35,000, 6,500. By the way, that's still a good crowd. Sure it is. Yes, yeah, yes. Good crowd. I don't mean to, to, to knock it. That's still a very good crowd. But, I mean, it's a long way from 35,000. And there were people outside, uh, as Donald Trump said. He said the total thing was 35,000. They say, they say maybe there were like 3,000 outside watching on screens. Okay, so. Let's give him 10,000. Let's give him 10,000. The El Paso Fire Department says Beto O'Rourke had between ten and 15,000. There you go. There you go. There. Okay, so I guess by that rubric, let's give it to Beto. Yeah, yeah you have to. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> he won. Yeah. And, he, and he's not even a member of Congress. He's just private citizen, Beto O'Rourke, in Texas. Somebody. Pulls as many people, if not more, than the president of the United States. Somebody please, please, please make sure Donald Trump sees that story this morning. <laughs> please make sure he sees that story. This what do you mean? He's watching. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, His right. steady diet of uh, news in the morning. Of course, he would never believe it, right? You could show it to him. He it's would, a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, that's right. He would blame it on Elon Omar or something. That's right. Uh, so we just wanted to get that straight, so it's just so, so, you, so you know the facts in that case. Thank you to the El Paso City Fire Department for just uh, reporting the facts. They report, we decide. <laughs> yeah, they reported the numbers, and we decided <clears throat> once again that Donald Trump is a big liar. Yes, it looks like uh, there is a deal. Uh, we, we reported yesterday that uh, uh, both sides said they had what they were calling the uh, agreement in principle. 
Uh, well, yesterday they started putting it down on paper. Uh, they need three days before they can uh, to circulate it before they can have a vote. So that'll come late Thursday or early Friday. Uh, but both the Republican and the Democratic leader in the Senate were uh, calling on the president to sign it. Uh, Peter, let's use that second clip here from Mitch McConnell uh, telling reporters, uh, yep, this is it, and the president should sign it. I hope he'll decide to sign it. We're all quite interested in that, as you can imagine. Mm, you bet they are. <laughs> They're interested in that. They're interested. That's a great way to yeah, put it. Meaning that they don't want another shutdown. They want to keep it going. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader, uh, with the same message uh, to the president. Please, Mr. President, no one got everything they wanted in this bill, but sign it and don't cause a shutdown. Yep. Sign it and just get it over with. Uh, find some way to cave in without saying you're caving in, which Donald Trump, it looks like, is already trying to do. By the way, he's dragging this out for dramatic purposes until the very end. You know, he wants he wants the TV ratings to stay with him all the way until 1145 Friday night. Uh, but, but you know, yeah, I'll sign it. Uh, think about that. Think about that for a second, right? Like you've got federal uh, employees oh. who, a lot of them, by the way, still have not been given back. Pay. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, still have not been given back pay for the over uh-huh. month that right. they were furloughed, uh, and they're on pins and needles waiting to see what the hell is going to happen. And it's a game for Donald Trump. It's a game. Total it's game. all a game. So it's he's, all he's can playing I get more it. eyes on me. He was asking us at a cabinet meeting, you know. <laughs> They had a cabinet meeting because, again, once in a while they have to put something on his schedule other than executive time um, to give the impression uh, that he's working. So it's a cabinet meeting, uh, and he um, was asked by reporters, so what do you think of this deal? He's not happy. I can't say I'm happy. Mm-mm. I can't say I'm thrilled. But the wall's getting built, regardless. Yeah, right. So <laughs> that's what he keeps saying over and over again. That he's, it doesn't matter what Congress does, he's going to build the wall anyway. He's just going to move money around. You know, you can't do that. There have been several uh, leaders of Congress who have said, no, no, no. We appropriate money here for specific purposes. We, can't, we will not, you, you can't take money, for example, let's say, here's a wild example, that Congress appropriated to the Pentagon for building daycare facilities on military bases around the country. Now, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about any of that. But the point is, he cannot just take that money and say, no, I want to use this to build a wall instead. It doesn't work that way. He thinks it does because he really does think being president means he's a dictator. He can do like he did running his business. He just gives the orders and everybody has to jump. It doesn't work that way when you're president of the United States. But he keeps saying we're going to build the wall anyway. Or do this emergency declaration. And as he said yesterday to report emergency declaration, declaration, like, what's the big deal? I'm considering everything. You know, we already have national emergencies out there. You know, President Obama, President Clinton, President Bush, they've declared many national. This is not unique. They've declared many national emergencies. Many, many. There it is. So, by the way, that's total bogus. Total. Many, many. Many, 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 many. Um, I, I'm sure somebody will dig into this today and and and, and list right um, all the national emergencies. Now, we're not talking about if a state says 
I need a state of emergency because we've been wiped out by a flood right. or by a fire or no, 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 no. I mean, a national, national emergency that requires the president to spend billions of dollars for a national crisis. I bet you, I can't remember. No, it, it I can't ha- remember it one. Happened. It hasn't happened. I look, this yeah. would be the equivalent of Barack Obama in the middle of the uh, Affordable Care Act fight saying, Health care in this country is a national emergency. Therefore, I'm declaring an emergency, right. and I'm going to ram this through, and this will be this will be done. Exactly. Or right. climate change is an right. immediate problem, and if uh, we don't address it right now, we have a national, dare I say, global emergency. I have to act right now. Congress be damned. That mm-hmm. that never happened. That never happened. Maybe it should have, but yeah. it but it but no no, no. it didn't. No. Never, never, never happened. Uh, and once again, you know, um, we keep coming back to our good friend um, Shep Smith at um, uh, Fox News in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, because, again, the other thing that Donald Trump says, first of all, I'm going to I'm going to build it. I don't care what Congress does. But he also says, but, you know, remember the signs in El Paso were now not build the wall, but finish the wall. Donald Trump keeps saying we're already building the wall. We've already built lots of wall under my term, and we're just going to, and we're doing it now, and we're just going to finish doing it, no matter what Congress does. And Shep Smith says again yesterday afternoon on Fox of all places, "Wait, slow down, get the facts." That's incorrect. He's been saying it for a while now, but it's simply not true. The facts are these: workers have replaced and repaired sections of the existing wall and fences, but so far they have not built anything new. Construction is set to begin on a 14-mile extension in the Rio Grande Valley later this month. And this just-announced deal in Congress could create 55 miles of new fencing and barrier. No wall. No wall. Right. Uh, so the deal, as we saw yesterday, it's 1.375, so not $5.7 billion for the wall, which is what the president demanded, uh, it's $1.375 billion for new fencing, 55 miles of new fencing um, in the Rio Grande Valley, which uh, the Border Patrol says is the most vulnerable, if you will, part of the border where more and more people are able to come across. Um, a, a lot of people are saying, and I would join them, I, I think for Democrats, Democrats giving that away, um, they gave them too much. I, I, you know, I think I find it hard to make the argument against the wall uh, and then give him one and a half billion dollars for more for more fencing. Um, maybe they felt they needed to do it to keep the government open. Uh, I think um, they were in charge and they had the they, they had the they had the power and Donald Trump was going to have to take basically whatever they gave him. More money for border security for new, for more electronic technology for more drones for more. Uh, non-fencing, if you will, uh, particularly toughen, uh, tightening up the procedures at our ports of entry, fine. That's a good way to spend the money. More and more fencing, 55 more miles of fencing, I think is crazy. Democrats gave it. Uh, I think they gave away too much. Um, but that probably will be enough because what Donald Trump, watch, what Donald Trump is going to say is, I'll sign this because it doesn't matter. I'll sign this because I'm going to build the wall anyway. I'll sign this because I, I, I'll just round up some money somewhere else. And so it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to do my wall. So take it.
That's sounds about right. Yeah, I think you. I, I think mean, you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> paraphrasing what Donald Trump is <laughs> yeah, going to say. I think you nailed it. But that's basically what it's going. That, that, that's how it's all going to come out. Uh, one thing the Congress is not happy about, uh, and we'll hear more about this with Nahal Tuzi from Politico coming up next. Um, that there was a deadline this week by law. The Trump administration was obliged, required to report to Congress on who killed Jamal Khashoggi. Um, Congress didn't hold any hearings on They said, okay, we want to hear from the administration, and there was a deadline. The deadline was passed this week. We know the U.S. intelligence agencies have said unanimously uh, that Khashoggi was killed, or the orders were given, by um, MBS Mohammed bin Salman, the acting ruler of Saudi Arabia. Uh, no doubt about it. We heard reports last week that he not only sent this crew to uh, Istanbul to lure him into the consulate and to kill him and dismember his body, but earlier he had said, um, I'll put a bullet in Khashoggi uh, to, if he refuses to come back to Saudi Arabia. Um, so how did the Trump administration respond to this, to the law, to the requirement that they report to Congress? Donald Trump just decided he wasn't going to do it. There was not only a BS report that said we don't know who killed him, because the intelligence agencies have made that pretty clear. The Trump administration just simply said they are not going to comply with the law. They're not going to issue any report. They're not going to tell Congress what they've discovered, what they found out. In other words, Donald Trump just said, I'm going to stick it to Congress, and I'm going to stand with my buddy MBS doesn't matter what he did, um, and uh, this raises this raises the question again about not only what does Vladimir Putin have on Donald Trump, but what do the Saudis have on Donald Trump when it comes to their long-standing financial deals that he's been doing all of his life with them? Very interesting question. A uh, couple of other issues um, that that, um, that happened yesterday. Uh, they got him, El Chapo. Guilty on all 10 counts. He has escaped from two Mexican prisons. We'll see if he can escape from an American prison now. I doubt it. Uh, the head of the um, U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York yesterday, Richard Donahue, said uh, he's going away and I'll throw away the key. This conviction, we expect, will bring a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. It is a sentence from which there is no escape and no return. You know what was really interesting uh, is they, they were talking to El Chapo's uh, attorneys afterwards. They said, he's just the most upbeat guy. We were really depressed about the uh, verdict, and he cheered us up. He was very, you know, he he didn't seem very fazed by it. You know why? He's probably got his tunneling equipment already. <laughs> yeah, That's <exactly>. why. <laughs> he knows how the story ends. He's going to get out of prison again. <laughs> so uh, he's going away. Also, uh, interesting story um, that Donald Trump faces yet another lawsuit. Uh, Cliff Sims, the owner of the, uh, uh, the owner, the author of this uh, recent book, um, Team of Vipers. He's, he spent about 500 days in the Trump uh, administration. He was part of the campaign went to the White House. He was the guy that prepared Donald Trump for all of his video, vi the videos that he would make and the weekly uh, TV, uh, weekly report to the people or whatever they call that. 
Um, that was his job. Former talk radio host from Alabama. What was it? Uh, Yellow Hammer. Yellow huh? Hammer News. Yellow yeah, Hammer yeah, News. Yeah. That uh, he was, he founded. Uh, at any rate, so he published this book um, just a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I'm in the middle of reading it right now. Uh, and boy, you talk about a picture of the Trump White House, which is totally chaotic. Totally chaotic. It is just as messy as all the other books have said. Uh, and he's got great stories to tell. Um, one of my favorites so far is that Donald Trump plays this game when he has people in the White House. This is his, uh, in the Oval Office. This is his favorite game to play. You know, um, on his desk is this red button. Yeah. And people will be sitting there and then, uh, you know, and they'll, 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 they'll notice this button and he'll notice that and then he'll say, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. Uh, oh, everybody, everybody sees that and they're really worried, you know, that I'm going to, because I'm so crazy, you know, I'm just going to push that red button and, and, uh, and then, you know, they're got the nuclear weapons and everything. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, I never do that. And then he goes, boom, and he pushes a red button. And people freak out. And at that point, the door opens and a man walks in with a Diet Coke on a silver tray. It's his, Imagine. his sense of humor. Yes. Imagine, by the way, <laughs> just you had a button installed at the Resolute desk mm-hmm. to have someone. In the Resolute go- desk. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. someone can bring you a Diet right. Coke mm-hmm. on a silver platter. Yeah, right. Anytime you want it. And that's somebody's job. Somebody's job is to sit there and wait for him to mash that red button so that they can make him a well, Diet Coke. That's Ray's Coke. job. You know, that's why when I push yeah, this button, right. Ray that's comes right. in with, with, with yeah. Yeah. Diet Pepsi, I prefer to Diet Coke. But Fair anyway. enough. <laughs> <laughs> on a silver platter, of course. I was always saying, so Cliff Sims, he comes out with his book in the White House, filed an injunction against him saying that he had violated the non-disclosure agreement he signed, the NDA. Uh, so Cliff Sims has turned around, and he has now sued the White House and, the, and Donald Trump for trying to deny him of his freedom of speech to tell his story. It's messy. Who knows that, what that will turn out? It's just, to me, it's one more lawsuit against Donald Trump everywhere you turn, Right. The foundation is being investigated. There are lawsuits against the foundation, against the Trump campaign, against the Trump business empire, against Donald Trump personally for sexual assault. Uh, you, you can go down, down the, and then of course there's the Robert Mueller investigation, the New York attorney investigation, uh, U.S. attorney in New York, the New York State Attorney General investigation, and now there's one more lawsuit brought by, uh, by. by former aide Cliff Sims and uh, the team of Vipers. Um, Donald Trump, by the way, at that cabinet meeting, Peter, we, we talked about where he talked uh, about the uh, um, about the border deal. He also uh, told his cabinet that they're working on a uh, a parade. Going to have, he's going to have his parade. Remember he went to, uh, to Paris. Yeah. Where they had the Bastille Day parade, and he told James Mattis on the way back, I want a military parade like that. This has been going on for uh, This is two years year. ago. Yeah, this yeah. is forever ago. It was the first, his first year, of first spring of his first term, uh, or summer, uh, at any rate. Um, and James Mattis said basically, no, we're not going to spend Pentagon money on a parade on Pennsylvania Avenue. The city of Washington pointed out that you roll these tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue you're going to have to pay to repave the entire street, dude. So they dropped that idea. He's back now. He's going to. He says now we're going to have a parade on Fourth of July. 
We already have a parade on the 4th of uh, July. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot of parades on 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> in any town in America, you could go to a parade on the 4th of July. And we already have the fireworks on yeah. the 4th of July. I mean, so this is, this is again, a crazy uh, Donald Trump uh, idea. Howard Schultz, he was on um, NBC, CNN last night, little town hall. Um, Poppy Harlow was the uh, the host, uh, grilled him on a couple of things uh, where he sort of sort of made news. One was, and this is, I think, a very interesting question and that Poppy pushed him on. Okay, you've got all this Starbucks stock, stock rightfully so, built up the company, did a great job. Uh, if you became president of the United States, would you divest yourself of your Starbucks stock? Uh, he would not say yes or no. Wouldn't answer the question. Here's that exchange. You have a huge stake, over yeah. $2 billion in Starbucks. The biggest market for Starbucks will soon be China. Yeah. And we have seen what has happened in this presidency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the best way to say that yeah. is that... Yeah. I will do nothing whatsoever to have any conflict of interest between my investments overall or my interest in the company that I love. I didn't hear an answer in there, did you? That's not an answer. Yeah, I didn't hear one. No, no, no. It's not an answer. Uh, by the way, he um, also was asked, okay, um, let's say that you're um, a candidate and all the polls show that you're just sucking votes from whoever the Democratic nominee is and assuring the re-election of Donald Trump, would you drop out? Because he said nobody wants to get rid of Donald Trump more than he does. So she asked him that question, Put, asked him that question several times. He would never agree to dropping out. Uh, and then she said, well, you know, you're going to just be, don't you recognize, you just, then you really are a spoiler. And his response was something along the lines of, how can you spoil a system that's already broken? Uh, uh, again, not an answer. Yeah. In other words, he's all. It's all about him. He doesn't care if it ends up reelecting Donald Trump. If he gets in, it's all about him. It's just a total vanity trip on the part of Howard Schultz. Um, and and we all saw that uh, nation. We, <laughs> the entire nation saw that uh, last night. Uh, just a little bit on the 2020 front. Amy Klobuchar. Uh, who had, uh, announced Sunday, of course, in the blizzard. <laughs> Not Well, they don't call it a blizzard. I'm sorry. Snowstorm. It's a light dusting for light those dusting that live in, uh, in Minnesota. Minnesota. To us, it's right. a blizzard. <laughs> it looked like a blizzard to me. Damn right it did. <laughs> I'm calling that a blizzard. Sorry, Minnesota. <laughs> uh, she appeared of all places, uh, popped up on Fox News last night with, uh, with Brett Baer uh, and said, damn right, I'll go anywhere to get my message out. One of the reasons I came on this show is that I believe that candidates for office, whether a Democrat or a Republican, have to go not just where it's comfortable, but where it's uncomfortable. And I love you, but, you know, Fox may not always be comfortable for Democrats. Um, to say the least. Uh, but uh, good for her. Yeah. Listen, I go on Fox News when they invite me. They just don't invite me anymore. But my reasoning was the same with hers. I used to do that Fox, the dumb Fox and Friends show in the morning when I'd go to New York when they would, before I wrote my book called Toxic Talk, where I actually slammed Sean Hannity <laughs> and Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. I'm still convinced that they gave the word, you cannot have that guy on the air anymore. The invitation but, started drying up after that. Uh, right? Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. But you know, my thinking was, I'll have more eyeballs on 
hearing, watching me and hearing my message on Fox than I would have if I went on one of the other uh, other shows. And um, so, why not? Uh, so good for good for Amy. By the way, uh, also on the 2020 front, not for president but for Senate. We mentioned yesterday Mark Kelly, the husband of uh, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, uh, former astronaut himself. He and Gabby Giffords this great uh, the great work that they've done on gun safety around the country, raising the profile on that issue and pushing for new gun safety legislation. He is going to challenge Martha McSally. Uh, for Senate in Arizona, he, he'll be a tough candidate. He'll be, you know, and she lost, remember, to Kirsten Cinema. So, think for uh, Arizonans have already spoken on whether they want Martha McSally in the U.S. Senate. She got there because the governor appointed her to take John McCain's spot. Uh, that's up, and I think uh, good for Mark Kelly. That's going to be an exciting race. I mean, no election and no uh, race is a slam dunk, but I mean, he's yeah, he's hitting the ground with a full head of steam. And in Kentucky. Chuck Schumer has recruited um, Amy McGrath, who was an outstanding candidate in 2018. Uh, she's a former veteran, or, or a veteran, I should say, a fighter pilot, and uh, ran a great campaign. Didn't win her congressional race down there. But in the primary, she beat the DCCC candidate. Uh, they had their own hand-picked white male, and she beat him in the primary. So she's a very, very outstanding candidate, and she'll be challenging Mitch McConnell. Go, go, Amy McGrath, right? Man, I'll send her a check today. (laughs) (laughs) And on the foreign policy front, oh, it's coming up. We have another news summit with uh, with North Korea. Uh, Man, we got that. We got Donald Trump saying ISIS is just about 100% uh, defeated. And uh, we ought to pull then everybody out of Syria, maybe even Afghanistan. Now, Hal Tuesday joins us for a look at the foreign policy front. She covers foreign foreign affairs for Politico. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. And on this Wednesday, February 13, how about it? Good to have you with us today. It is the Bill Press Show, where we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our studio in Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the Teachers of America, making a difference every day in the classroom. You bet, doing the Lord's work under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Check out their website at afp.org. Let's get away from the uh, 2020 and the uh, national politics here for a second and take a look at hotspots around the globe with our good friend from Politico, foreign affairs correspondent, Nahal Tuzi. Hello, Nahal. Nice to see you. Hi. It's good to be back. Thank you. Good to have you back. Before we get into new stuff. We've been stirring things up for the last half hour. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments. Let's start on Twitter, at BP Show. (laughs) At BP Show is where you can find us. Uh, We talked about the national emergency declarations, which Donald Trump says many, many presidents have done in the past. Many, many. Many, many. Uh, Resistance CV says he can think of two. Uh, George W. Bush declared a national emergency after 9-11. And Barack Obama initiated a uh, national emergency in the response to the swine flu outbreak. And those are the only two that he could think hmm. of. Many, many. This is different than a state of emergency for a state oh, yeah, for or a, a region that's been hit by flooding or hurricane or whatever. Right. But no, a national emergency. Those are the two that... Uh, I didn't remember the swine flu being one, but I'll... I'll take Resistance Stevie's word for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We talked about El Chapo. Uh, Someone says El Chapo might be pardoned by El Cheeto. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) 
Um, and our buddy Romaine in Chicago, who certainly has a way with words. Uh, Bill, you have to. We talked about the crowd size in Texas and how mm-hmm. it looks like Beto actually had a bigger crowd mm-hmm. uh, than Donald Trump. Uh, Romaine says, <laughs> "Bill, you have to call him what he is. He is not a sizist, no sir. He is a size queen." Oh, size queen. I'm sorry. Okay, that's just say it as Romaine puts it as only Romaine can put it. Also, remember, by the way, we are at YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, where we have a chat room running all throughout mm-hmm. the program. Susan says about the military parade, the only parade I want to see is the perp walk out of the White House. Very good the comment. The perp walk. The perp walk. Oh, I thought he said Pope walk. I was just trying to think. Pope Francis? No. Okay. The perp, the perp walk. The perp, the perp walk out of the White House. That's the only parade she wants to see. And remember, uh, if you go to YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, subscribe to our page there, and uh, you can also uh, participate in the chat room that we have ongoing. All right. Uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, so now, where do we start? I want to start with... Um, it's the- Galentine's Day. It Tomorrow's is Valentine's, Valentine's Day. No, Galentine's Gal- Day. Today is Galentine's Day. What's that mean? I didn't ever heard tell of him, this. Tell him, Peter. <laughs> you tell him. You tell him. No, it's... I mean, I, I don't know much about Seriously, it, but I... <laughs> I... I never heard of this. <laughs> it's from that show, Parks and Recreation. It's like a day oh. for women to celebrate other women. I assume single women. Uh, I hope so, anyway, because it's like the only holiday that's going to matter to me <laughs> when it comes to that. The day before Valentine's. Is that it? Yeah. So, oh. oh. <laughs> Am I right, Peter? It could... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right, and it's and it's also. But it just could like, be guys, Galentine. I mean, if, I guess it's single people celebrate on. I think it's for women. It's yeah, for it's women? mostly for Is women, and case? it's for like friends to get together, right? Yeah, like even if you do have a significant other, you could get together with your buddies and and uh, have a little celebration on your own. I little did I know. <laughs> well, happy Galentine's there you go, Day. Bill. You learn something new every day, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, well, one person who is not going to get a Galentine card or a Valentine card from Donald Trump, is Congresswoman uh, Elon Omar, the president, stepping into this yesterday uh, and saying that she should, here he is uh, during his cabinet meeting, that she should resign. She should either resign from Congress or she should certainly resign from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, and I'm sure Nancy Pelosi's response would have been just butt out, right? You know, look, she said some things which we found were we thought were over the line. We told her. She apologized. End of story. Move on. Is it the end of the story? I don't think it's going to be the end of the story for Ilhan Omar. You've written Omar. about this. Yeah, yeah. or Rashida Tlaib. I mean, they've come into Congress with some very, um, you know, views that are a bit more to the left than a lot of others. And I think people are going to be watching them pretty closely. Um I, you know, what I find interesting about the Ilhan Omar case, because I've been kind of tracking her Twitter feed and and other public statements, is, you know, she has a general sense of, like, what progressives want on a certain degree. They want to push the debate in a certain direction, and she seems happy to do that. Um, But she, she also just seems like she doesn't necessarily have a lot of information, um, you know, unbiased, clear information about some of the topics that she's willing to talk about. You know, people are freaking out about her Israel tweets. I understand that. But some of the stuff she said about Venezuela has been just striking to me, like, because it seems mm-hmm. like she just doesn't ha- or hasn't really done her research. And I think that if she c- keeps that up, if she sets, says things that are like, mm-hmm 
that are really, you know, like they just, it's like, dude, like, have you read about this? You yeah. know, maybe you shouldn't talk about something you haven't read about. If she keeps doing that, like, not only is she going to, like, get all sorts of criticism from, you know, everybody from, you know, the, the pro-Israel groups to whatever, but, you know, a lot of people in Congress are just going to consider her too toxic to work with. And if she actually wants to be an effective legislator, um, you know, I would think that she would want to uh, be a little more, you know, just do a bit more research. I've just, yeah. I've just been really struck by that. But what I find interesting about the Trump weighing in, of course, is that, you know, first of all, there's the question yeah. of hypocrisy. Things, think of the things that he has said and done and for him mm-hmm. to call on her to resign. But for, do, do you think any, that he even had a clue beforehand that she was on the House Foreign Affairs Committee? Like, that's that seems true. like you have to wonder where that came from. And if somebody, you know, like Kevin McCarthy or others were telling the White House, hey, yeah. have him say yeah. something and make sure to mention that sure. she is on the House oh, Foreign yeah. Affairs oh, Committee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you look at all this, you know, <clears throat> she, she really kind of opened the door, frankly, and the Republicans <clears throat> are going to... And walk right through it. Right. You know, th- I think it's pretty clear. I love this this freshman class, right? Uh, and the diversity and, and so many women and people of color and, and their energy and, and you know, uh, and they're, they're, they're making waves from day one, right? At the same time, I sound like an old fart saying this, but uh, they're, these are people who have never held public office before, a lot of them, right? It's the first time and they're a member of Congress. And they're sort of rookies, and they're going to make some mistakes. And I think some of them are like I think that on her part, that was a mistake that somebody who had a little more seasoning might not have made. Well, so okay. I accept, but I accept that. But when, when it comes to what you said about you have to do your homework and make sure you know your facts is very, very important. A very I, important lesson for them to learn. First of all, I think it's her interesting. I think it's interesting that you're saying that because a lot of <laughs> Trump supporters you know, said the same thing about his team when they first came. He's like, look, these guys have never been in government before. Yeah. Cut them some slack. You know, the left was and still is jumping on every single thing that they do that might be remotely wrong. And people are like, look, their supporters are like, it's you're treating them by an unfair standard. So, I mean, if, if you're going to expect... You but know. the problem with the Trump people is they've been there two years and they haven't learned well, a damn thing, right? I, I and they, think, they just keep getting worse. I wrote an article recently about some of this. I mean, I think maybe maybe there are, you know, some of the critics maybe need to reevaluate some of it and, and, and ask some questions about whether maybe they've gotten some things right or not. I also believe that uh, among four, 535 members of Congress uh, that we are a big enough nation to tolerate m- Two Muslim voices who may not always sing from the same hymn, hymnal when it comes to the politics of the government of Israel or Net, Benjamin Netanyahu. And um, they may say some things. I'm not talking about anti-Semitic. I'm just talking about d- disagreeing with their policies with the wall or with Gaza or whatever. That's legitimate criticism, which you would, by the way, hear if you went to Israel. You'd hear that criticism of their government. And for people to express that here in the United States, uh, for us always to brand it as anti-Semitic, I think, is wrong. Well, it's it's not, you know, it, it, and when it comes to this debate, because, I, I mean, look, I just had a story run about Israel and Palestine, and I'm getting, you know, criticism from every side, because no matter what you do, like, you, you can't. Uh, Totally. Been you, there, you done. Know. I've been there, done. <laughs> no matter that, how hard you try to yeah. be super fair or, or just no. try to get every side. But um, it, the thing about that debate is it's not just about substance, it's also about style, right? It's not about what you say, it's about how you say it. Good point. And where you say it and who you say it to. Yeah. And 
that's that's one of the hardest things to try to figure out, you know, on, on when right. it comes to DC. All right. So I want to I want to play. You mentioned Donald Trump. Some of the things that he has said. Okay. So uh, I mean, Ilan Omar gets in trouble because she she suggests that the supports for Israel or for Israel are based on the money that wealthy Jewish Jews give to politicians. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that, she's been condemned by her own leadership, and the president of the United States says she should resign. Here is Donald Trump in 2015 talking to the Republican Jewish Coalition. A very, very pro-Israel conservative group. Very conservative pro-Israel group, Donald Trump. I'm a negotiator like you folks. We're negotiators. Do you want to renegotiate deals? We, some of us renegotiate deals. I would say about 99.9. Is there anybody that doesn't renegotiate deals in this room? This room negotiates. I want to renegotiate this room. Perhaps more than any room I've ever spoken to. Maybe more. It's okay. I've, I've been called on that a couple of times, too. You're not going to support me, even though you know I'm the best thing that could ever happen to Israel. And I, I, I'll be that. And the re- I know why you're not going to support me. And, you know, you're not going to support me because I don't want your money. You don't want to give me money, okay? But that's okay. You want to control your own politician. That's fine. Good. But I will tell Think about that, folks. Think, don't worry about it. Protocols of Zion. Oh. I mean, that is just dripping with everything they're accusing Ilan Omar of. Is, is it? I mean, it's just... And, and you know, he gets away with that. He gets away with anything. It's a legitimate question about whether she's being held to a different standard than he is. But, but the thing is, honestly, when it comes to Trump, it's like he's held to a different standard than on, everyone else on, on everything. On everything. So I'm yeah. not, like, I'm not even I mean, sure, like... Yeah, did he call on Steve King to resign? I don't believe so. No, no, he hasn't, right? So, uh, just... Pointing out they got to people who live in but, glass houses. Right, I guess, but, but but look, politically speaking, this is a very you could say it's a very smart tactic on the part of the Republicans. They are trying to make Israel a wedge issue among Democrats. Oh, and they have for now years. I mean, particularly the evangelicals. Right, it's it's become right. a very much a more contested issue. Um, we have another summit coming up with North Korea. What should the president ask of of Kim Jong Un this time? I mean, and what did we get the last time? Uh, last time we got a vague declaration of plans to denuclearize. Uh, we got agreements to um, stop the exercises with uh, the military exercises with South Korea and for them to return the remains of well, U.S. We, troops. Yeah, there there were some accomplishments. Um, apparently, there have been some more commitments made in the meetings subsequently between Pompeo and and um, North Korean counterparts. What are we going to get this time? Um, I mean, I think the goal would be something more substantive than last time, especially on the nuclear front. I mean, the whole thing about troop remains, I mean, as, as great as that is to get them back, like it, it does not affect the nuclear program of North Korea. And so right. I think that this administration this time would want something much more concrete. For instance, here is a list of all of their nuclear facilities or here are we, we got the names of some of their top scientists or something. I, I don't know. But I mean, it's or gotta be we more. are going to destroy this many nuclear warheads. Right. Uh, and we're going to have international inspectors come and watch as we do that. Uh, I I don't. I would be surprised if North Korea would actually follow through on that commitment if it were to even make it in the right. first place. Right. 
Uh, yeah, good point. If they were even to make it. You mentioned Pompeo. Secretary of State is in Poland at this point uh, talking to our allies about the Iran nuclear deal. Yes. Uh, there's no chance we're going back in it, or that, is there any chance that the rest of them will pull out? Uh no, uh, and no, because uh, at this point, you know, the, the, the Trump administration is committed to, to staying out of the deal. The deal is holding up, but barely. The Iranians are sticking to it, and the Europeans are trying to stick to it to the degree that they can without violating U.S. sanctions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Basically what's happening is they're having this Middle East conference that the U.S. and Poland are co-hosting. And it was originally supposed to be about Iran, and then there was a lot of backlash and they were like, okay, fine, we'll just make it about problems in the Middle East and how to solve problems in the Middle East. Uh, there's not even a session technically titled, you know, let's talk about Iran. It's just mm. like Iran's supposed to come up in other contexts. Uh, so it's like the conference about Iran that's not really about Iran. Um, and they're trying to, this is a way for the U.S. to try to kind of make it seem like it's not diplomatically isolated when it comes to the Middle East. But I think if anything, if you can see how a lot of, countries aren't even participating, they're not sending their top people, it kind of actually is underscoring how increasingly diplomatically isolated isolated the U.S. has become. So the uh, U.S. intelligence chiefs who appeared in front of the Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee last week, I believe it was. A couple of weeks ago at this point, I think. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Um, A few lifetimes ago. And and they were asked about the Iran nuclear deal, and uh, uh, I think the head of the CIA and Dan Coates, the the director of national intelligence, both said... There is no evidence that Iran, I don't want to make it a double negative, but that all the evidence is that Iran was in compliance with the deal, totally contradicting the Trump White House. Correct. Uh, I mean, just the other day, John Bolton put out a, a video saying Iran continues to seek nuclear weapons. And so, yeah, I mean, you have the official point of view from your own intelligence agencies, from the International Atomic Energy Agency saying Iran's upholding the deal. They're not pursuing a nuclear weapon. Uh, and then you have the other view, which is we don't really trust them. Even if, they, even if they're saying or make it, making it seem in public like they're not doing anything, there's got to be something secret going on because Iran, these are the bad guys. And they're doing all this other stuff. They're sponsoring terrorism. They're backing mm-hmm. proxy militias. They're interfering throughout the region. They're staging assassinations uh, in Europe or trying to. And so there's this whole like debate about the other behavior of Iran as well that this administration is particularly worried about. And it's a question of how you go about it. For the Europeans, to them, it's like, look, we agree that this other stuff is terrible, but we had the nuclear problem fixed. and now, And then we could have focused on this other stuff. So why are we you know, why did you make this a problem again? And now it's a distraction from solving these other problems. Um, There was a report due this week from the Trump administration to Congress on what what have you determined about who killed Jamal Khashoggi? So it was due on Friday. Last Friday, right? And here's the funny thing. So when a few months ago, senators from both sides of the aisle sent a note to uh, the State Department saying, we are basically uh, using this provision in a law known as the Magnitsky Act. And by doing so, we're invoking this. We want an investigation that you mm-hmm. have to do to f- and, and a determination on who's responsible. You have 120 days, right? Um, the minute they sent that letter, basically like in the first couple, first couple of days, uh, I call or I write to the State Department like, so, hey, guys, are you guys getting going on this investigation? How's it going, right? No, I mean, 
They and since then they have been completely evasive about whether they even launched an investigation. So to me, it was very clear early From on the beginning. they have zero intention of actually complying with this request of the senators, which is in the law. Right mm-hmm. now, the, the the twist on this, which I think is interesting, is that. When Barack Obama signed the Magnitsky Law, he did it with a signing statement that said, you know, on this provision where you tell me I have to launch an investigation, I don't think I'm necessarily going to follow that because I think it impedes on my executive authority, right? And so now the Trump administration is basically relying on that, saying, <laughs> we don't have to do this. You, you, you put it in the law, but we think you're going, the law is going yeah. too far. But so they've been able to do that. And at the same time, they don't really want to come out and say that, they believe that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is responsible for the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. It's just too diplomatically sensitive for them. And so they have been able to not bother with this and not not they've just not submitted a report. And it's made a lot of people mad um, right. on Republicans Republican and Democrats as well as Democrats. Except right. for one key Republican figure, the new chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And he does not seem that inclined. Mr. James Risch. He does not seem that inclined to push the administration on this issue. Uh, he, yeah, he basically said he accepts their their reasoning or whatever their explanation. So, um, uh, I I've seen several reports on CBS lately about the uh, northern Syria and the territory that's left with ISIS. Donald Trump keeps saying any day now uh, ISIS is going to be one hundred percent defeated. It looks like that's going to happen, doesn't it? Territorially, sure. I think there's a pretty good chance that they're going to lose all of their land. Uh, I mean, they're down to like one village and 500 fighters or something like that I saw last night. Right, right. Charlie Daggett, who's an incredible (laughs) journalist over there on the ground. Yeah, it's it's intense. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think we can expect a declaration from the U.S. soon that it's 100 percent territorially we've recaptured. But uh, that does like, not mean the end of ISIS. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Isn't this like we thought, you know, the Taliban was gone and al-Qaeda was gone and they never really go away, do they? Right. And, you know, where where would they go to? I mean, to a certain degree, right? I mean, some so of these So if we folks... bring the, our troops out of Syria, are we repeating the same mistake that Barack Obama made in pulling our troops out of Iraq, just leaving a vacuum where a new group like ISIS can pop up? I think there's a very strong argument that, yes, that that same scenario might repeat itself. What I think is interesting is that, like, people often don't quite understand what these U.S. troops do there. Like, these aren't like your traditional, like, infantry guys, the grunts. You know, it's like 2,000 guys, but they're not just, like, folks that we just send out to fight. These are kind of the the skeleton of the whole system, right? They're the ones who are kind of managing things, overseeing operations, uh, making the strategic uh, decisions. These these are the guys that kind of hold the whole thing together because who the people who are doing the fighting are the local forces, right? Yeah, right. The Kurds and others who have allied to stand up against ISIS. But they sort of so d- if you pull d- these guys out, right. it has a much more bigger effect than just pulling mm. out. Ground troops. Right. 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 Uh, and... Um, I mean, I think, but we haven't pulled them out yet, right? And we still don't know when, and it's still not clear if it's going to actually happen. I, I'm still not convinced we're actually going to pull out. Right? How about Afghanistan? It's a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the State of the Union, President Trump 
said some things about Afghanistan and the peace talks. And it was interesting to me because he suggested that, look, maybe these peace talks won't work out. And when he said that, that to me was a sign that maybe he isn't going to pull U.S. troops out anytime soon. Like, it sounded to me like he's willing to see how far these talks go before pulling out troops. You know, if we haven't accomplished our mission in 17 years. But what's our mission there? Oh, that's good. Good question. Our mission was original mission was achieved in two weeks. Right. right. What's it been since then? I don't think anybody has a good answer to that. George Bush didn't. Barack Obama didn't. And now Donald Trump doesn't either. Um well, the rest of the world is just burning, but we don't have time to get to it, so we're just going to have to let things go. <laughs> Anyhow, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having At Politico, politico.com, we can keep up on the how. Daniel Lipman from Politico uh, and the Politico Playbook joins us next. This Quick break. We'll be right Bill back. Press show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Did the Democrats give too much away in this border deal? Yeah, if you ask me, the answer is yes. What do you say, everybody? Here we go on a Wednesday, February 13. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. And thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, as we uh, boom out to you live coast to coast. From our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you nationwide on the radio, on television, and online with all the news of the day. Uh, Most of it centered on this uh, continuing negotiations around, well, the negotiations have stopped, uh, the attempts to get this border deal, uh, first of all, in legislative form. They have an agreement in principle. Now they got to put it in writing. Then they take a look at it to make sure the written document reflects what the members of the committee agreed to. And then it will have to pass the Senate and the House and then go down to the White House and get the president's signature before we avert another uh, Trump down, as we're calling it, which would kick in on Friday evening at midnight. Um, So much going on. We need some help to get through it all. And we got it on the part of Daniel Lippman, who is the co-author of the great playbook for political. It's always good to see you, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for coming in. Of course. In the morning. Everything good? Everything is going well. excited about the new 4th of July parade we're going to have? And, oh, yeah. Are, are we going to get like a marching band? Or? Right. <laughs> it sounds like it. Well, you know, we already have the fireworks, right? So, I think the fireworks will be even more fantastic than they usually are. So, <laughs> Thank you, President Trump. There you go. Anyhow, we've got lots to talk about and lots you will want to comment on. We want to hear from you and your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP Show, they are always uh, juicy, and we love uh, hearing you from from you on, on Twitter, at BP Show. 
Uh, Daniel and you and I will jump into all the breaking news of the day. But first, the real big headline. the full court press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Think twice before you eat those processed foods. There is a new study published in the JAMA Internal Medicine Journal saying that ultra-processed foods will actually increase your risk of death, an early death, by 14%. Now, when we talk about processed foods, what are we talking about? Yeah, um, I'm going to ask you that. Right? Packaged snacks, like, you know, Little Debbie's or things like that, uh, sugary drinks, breads, confections, ready-made meals like frozen or TV dinners, and processed meats. All those things are so bad because they put so many different chemicals and additives oh. and preservatives into it. Those are the things that are slowly rotting our bodies from the inside, and they will kill you earlier than we uh, than, than we previously thought. Again, a 14% risk, higher risk in early death with every 10% is increase in proportions of ultra-processed foods consumed. How about kale? <laughs> kale, you live for a long time, buddy. Oh, no, no, no. Eat no, your kale. I, no, I, I think kale is probably more dangerous than processed food. <laughs> Eat your kale and live longer. I want to I believe that. Anyway. Let's go to the Palm Beach Zoo, oh. where a very small monkey has Mar-a-Lago. been stolen. What? Stolen from the zoo there. Someone, it's a behind a locked enclosure. Someone actually cut a hole into the enclosure, got in there, and stole a 12-year-old female monkey. They released from, uh, some stills from surveillance video show someone walking along the perimeter just around midnight on Monday. Cut a hole. With this monkey. Reached what? in, got the monkey, and took off. So there is a monkey that was stolen that is still out there. They're still looking for the monkey from the Palm Beach Zoo. That's it, crazy. I mean, look, yeah. having a pet monkey sounds kind of cool, but you can't steal it from a zoo, man. That's not. That's not. Good. I don't think having a pet monkey sounds very cool. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be cleaning up monkey poop all over my house. Well, most states actually outlaw people from having yeah, pet monkeys. Yeah, they should. So if you see anybody well, out, I hope, out walking their pet monkey, yeah. <laughs> I hope they get it back. Yeah, yeah. We 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 hope uh, for good things from uh, Callie. Callie is the name of the the stolen monkey. So if you see anybody in, near Palm Beach, Florida, was Donald Trump in Palm Beach? What what night was this? That's a, a yeah uh, Monday night. I better check the records. This is the Bill Press Show. Down to the deadline on the border deal. Uh, both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer say the president should sign it. He says he's not happy with it. He still may sign it, but he won't commit to it yet. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, February 13. It's the Bill Press Show. You're part of it, and we appreciate your joining us, whether you're joining us online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining us on the radio on the great WCPT. Hello, Chicago. Looking good this morning. And are joining us on television on Free Speech TV, Coast to Coast. Welcome to the program. Uh, and again, thanks for being part of it. And join me in welcoming uh, Daniel Lipman, uh, who um, puts together, with help of some good friends, the yep. playbook every morning. I always tell you it's the best source for what's going on twice a day. Uh, in we, we never stop. DC. Never stop. That's true. <laughs> I can tell you he never stops. I was uh, out at a, 
actually at a framing shop getting some new paintings that I bought. On a weekend. Framed. On a weekend, on a Sunday afternoon, and my phone goes off and it's Daniel Lippman trying to track something down. Yep. I said, come on, you're supposed to be just hanging out, playing soccer or something. <laughs> I don't know about you, but do you play soccer in February? No, that's so, true. Right. <laughs> give me a couple months and then so I'll get good, back on my cleats. Good to see you on the good job to see you too. all around the clock. Uh, now, the one thing that if you um, – there are a lot of differences, Daniel, when you go to the White House now from when you used to go to the White House and I went every day under for the briefings under the Obama administration – one difference is that there are no briefings no anymore. No more briefings. Right. Um, Once a month. <laughs> the other difference is um, it, it was not unusual to see strolling around the White House lawn either Bo or Sonny. That's one thing you're not going to see with Donald Trump, right? And at his rally in Texas a couple nights ago in El Paso, he talked about that. Here he is. You do love your dogs, don't you? <laughs> I wouldn't mind having one, honestly, but I don't have any time. I don't have. <laughs> How would I look walking a dog on the White House lawn? Would that be. <laughs> that, right? Sort of not for. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't feel good. <laughs> Feels a little phony, phony to me. A lot of people say, oh, you should get a dog. Why? It's good politically. I said, look, that's not the relationship I have with my people. We want to yeah, Obama had a dog. You're right. There we are, the president of the United States riffing about dogs. I would definitely humanize him a little bit more if he had a dog, and that's, the you know, a first pet. Uh, yeah, you know. Our, uh, my friend. Uh, most, most presidents have had some kind of pet. Yeah, it makes him look a little odd. You know, it's a nice property. I'm sure the dog would enjoy the White House. Uh, 13 acres, right? Yeah. And, and Meredith uh, McGraw at ABC News, she uh, had a story yesterday about how uh, Laura Trump, uh, part of the Trump family, has actually pitched the president or people around him uh, saying, you know, there's uh, if you want to get a dog, uh, you know, here are some options. And so, you know, Laura's a big... A uh, fan of dogs. I think she's, she's a big animal rights yeah. activist, by, by the way. I know that. And yeah. So that's her pet cause. Uh, and <laughs> So to speak. So yeah. to speak. And so, but Trump has not really liked, you know, he's kind of a germaphobe. And so. That's right. I forgot about that. So that's also, important to mention with this. I know. The idea. So um, George H.W. Bush had dogs, being Sonny, Bill Clinton's dog, and and uh, um, George W. Bush's Barney was one. There was one. Barney, and then there was Mrs. Beasley. Mrs. Beasley, Mrs. Of Beasley? Course. Yeah, right. Remember when uh, Bush, uh, he choked on that pretzel? Yeah. And Barney was, like, barking or something. Yeah, Barney saved him. Barney saved, <laughs> Barney him, saved right. him, Yeah. Although this, this uh, White House then, feels so, cr- you know, crisis. It's always like crisis all the time. That, <laughs> the dog like, would, the dog would probably, you know, want to leave the White House. Dogs <laughs> could pick up on that negative energy, man. They know. And, and I got to know Sonny and Bo pretty well because I knew their handler really. But but the idea That's that funny. you never saw those presidents, like, walking the dog, you know what I mean? Somebody does that for them, right? No, they, they, they the walk the dog are... to the Marine One or yeah, you know, going to yeah. Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, right. That's about the only time. I think you're right. <laughs> with Camp sort David. Of... Remember when presidents used to go to Camp David? Now it's barely used. Like, maybe once a month there's some type of meeting there, uh, uh, and Trump has only gone a couple times for the weekend. Yeah. 
Obama didn't use Trump uh, Camp David that much either. George W. Bush did yeah, a lot. Yeah, this is favorite, one of his favorite places. Right. Well, I, you know, it's not. Let's face it, it's not swanky enough for Trump, right? I mean, have you, have you been to Camp David? Or? I have not. Okay. No. I was offered a tour by you know someone who works at Camp David, and I followed up like maybe five times over a span of like a year. And the tour never happens. So. Oh man! <laughs> oh no! I'd love, I'd love to see it. And if you if you go, you tell me. I'll go with you. Okay. Seriously, I'd love to see it. But I mean, I know it's not up to the standards of, Trump. fortunately, of Mar-a-Lago, right, or Bedminster even. I, and I he doubt. He goes to the golf club in Sterling. Or Virginia. Sterling even. I I doubt that they have gold fixtures in the bathrooms at uh, at no. Camp David. Uh, I bet Camp David's pretty... been in movies, you know, about presidents. I wonder if that's the case too. No, I think they make up. They they do a phony camp. Yeah, but I would just know. wonder if it's even mentioned sometimes. So. I, I don't think they would allow any crews in there. No. Um, I, I I I went to the. I I I went looking for it once. Just a quick story. I don't want to spend too much time on this. And there's a up in the mountains, whatever that's called there. Catoctin Mountains. Catoctin. Yeah, I go hiking up there a lot. Oh. Watch out, man. Not too close. <laughs> not too close. So I went to this ranger station, and I said, uh, Carol and I were there with her mother at the time. Her mother, who is no longer with us, but her, my mother-in-law. And um, we went to ranger station. I said, so I just wanted to look for Camp David. And she said, um, I can't tell you anything about that. I said, well, I know it's around here somewhere. I said, like, which road do we? <laughs> just your GPS. She said, sir, I cannot answer any question at all about that. Uh, and I said, and I said God, I, I'm not going to. I'm a taxpayer. I'm not going <laughs> to go in. I just want to know kind of like. Have you she, ever been near Langley or in the CIA? Or? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's it like? Well, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, she would not tell me. So I just for the hell of it, I just decided I'll go down that road. And I went down that road. And it was the road to Camp David. Wow. And once you get close, there are signs that say, if you go past this point, you're going to be shot, basically. <laughs> it was, I just turned around. I said, mm, yeah, boom. For the record, it, it does exist on GPS. Like, if you look on Google Maps for Camp David, it will send you in that direction. Huh. That being said, you do run into those signs that you just talked about. You can only get so close to Camp David. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And it's very secluded. All right. Well, we'll go there sometime, hopefully. Uh, Green New Deal. Boy. Um, it's certain stirred up. A, it's not even legislation yet. It's just no. a resolution, a group of ideas. Um, they took down the website for a, at least a temporary time. Yeah, because they had made some, some mistake in, or... in what was in and what was not in. But the response to it has been interesting. Mitch McConnell yesterday saying he's going to have he's going to have the Senate vote on it, and it's not even. It, it legislative form yesterday. And ironically, remember during the shutdown, uh, Senator McConnell, Leader McConnell, wouldn't put those funding bills that would have reopened uh, right. those you know different federal yep. agencies uh, on the floor for a vote, which they probably would have passed. Uh, but with this Green New Deal, then it's all you know full steam ahead. Uh, and the White House, uh, they lashed out against it, um, you know, to, to me at first uh, last week when I just asked them. No one had asked them a question. What do you think of the Green New Deal? And they called it socialism. That's kind of their big message these days. Right. No. Uh, yeah, they, they called it socialism. Some members, pardon me, members of Congress said it's Looney Tunes, you know, or it's crazy. Um, and yet... And the Democrats have sort of rushed to embrace it. You know, 70-some members of Congress, I think, have supported Number of presidential candidates. You've got Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Although some of them, else. they say that, you know, 
they would have to adapt specific parts that were not as agreeable. And so they're not embracing well, every little part of uh, well, aspect of the Green New Deal. Yeah, because, again, right now it's just a set of goals Concept, right? Yeah. that we should have a total get away from fossil fuels 100%. California has already put passed this law, right? So yeah. they say we should do it nationwide. How you get there is always the yeah. the rub, right? And so and California the, was in the news with their train yesterday, which that doesn't help canceling the high speed train. Uh, right, and one of the, one of the elements of the Green New Deal is more trains, more and, more trains yeah. to the point where it make air travel almost obsolete. They say, well, it's hard to fly down, which to is not going to happen. Europe on the train, <laughs> no, <right. laughs> <You> take ships. <laughs> no, it talked about obviously travel. Uh, in this country, anyhow, laudable goals, um, but but I, I, my question to you, I guess, is uh, as big as the goals as and bold as these ideas are, is this maybe what the American people really want today, or do they do with this Congress for the last ten years? I mean, their idea of a big goal is renaming a post office, right? I mean, yeah, there was a big. You know, conservation bill passed yesterday, but that's uh, you know not uh, those are small steps, and so uh, Congress seems to be getting out of the big bill game that uh, it used to do during the uh, Obama administration with health care and the financial regulatory reform, Barney uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dodd Frank, uh, and Democrats are kind of searching for what's their next big thing. They haven't addressed climate change in a substantial way. Uh, you know, in that would actually help cut down on uh, greenhouse gases and carbon emissions. And so this is a one way, this is a radical uh, ideal that uh, has far reaching consequences for the economy, but uh, has a lot of base support because many Democratic primary voters view climate change as the existential issue and, you know, their number one issue, uh, even though they are still deciding, you know, which candidate to pick. Yeah. I mean, my gut tells me that particularly young Americans today are looking for something, are looking for big ideas and bold ideas. And uh, it may not be, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a long time. You got There are twists and turns before you get there. But if you set these goals and start moving toward those goals, I think that's what people want from their government today, not just little mini steps or baby steps. or. And the next, if there's a Democratic president in 2021 and a Democratic Congress, you can guarantee they're not going to do a big health care plan the first as their first uh, legislative uh, yeah, I think. victory or as their first legislative uh, challenge. They are going to probably do climate change uh, unless there's a bit bad economy and then they'll have to do a big stimulus package. But uh, last time it was such a tough process for Obamacare that they don't want to repeat that uh, next term. Right. Um, so are we going? Are we heading toward another? Uh, CNN has the. Count if we look up here at the monitor, it's got the countdown clock. Yep. Two days, fifteen hours, forty-two minutes, and forty-seven six seconds before the next Trump down. We call it here on the show. <laughs> um, are we going to have a shutdown? I don't think we're going to see one. We had uh, there are some, they're finalizing some details. So in playbook today, there were you know uh, members of the negotiating teams kind of voice concerns uh, through proxies that, uh, you know, with the $1.4 billion for the wall and for for border fences, uh, they haven't entirely decided how that's going to be worded legislatively. So does Trump need approval 
or can he just use that money willy-nilly with how he sees fit? Uh, and that would be mostly uh, 55 uh, miles of mm-hmm. uh, border uh, barriers. So the new term is barriers. It's it's kind of between yeah. it's between fences and walls. Uh, <laughs> since a barrier is both a fence and a you know wall, or it encompasses both. And so, uh, but I think that there's you know Trump himself said yesterday no appetite for another shutdown. Uh, he made his point already, uh, and that he would blame Democrats this time for a new shutdown, uh, but did accept responsibility for the, the for the long 35-day one uh, earlier this year. So, it, it look, but it does look like I agree with you that in the he's going to sign whatever they come up with, um, but he will probably not uh, not announce or agree to signing until about 11:45 Friday night. Yeah, and he might drag not, it out. They're not going to have a big ceremony where well, he uh, he will take credit for this later with what he's getting. But I can't imagine that uh, he's that thrilled. But that also indicates that uh, every, you know it's a good deal given that both sides aren't that happy with it. Right. It's kind of a definition of these types of things. Uh, jumping around, I know, but um, we we talked about the, the, this com- uh, President Trump's comments about the dog down in El Paso. It was also in El Paso that he was um, he faced something new, which was a, a competing rally yep. on the part of Beto O'Rourke, who is just a Texas citizen right now. He's not even a member of Congress. Unemployed, or as he likes to brag. Unemployed. Got a little pickup truck, drives around in it. Although his wife is pretty well off, so I don't uh, think he's that, that, that hungry. No, <laughs> we've heard that, right? No. He doesn't have to worry about you know, his next meal. No. Um, at any rate, so the question is, who had the bigger crowd? You know, we know that Donald Trump is a size queen, as we uh, have <laughs> been told by some of our listeners. That's the phrase we should use. Thank you, Romaine. Thank you, Romaine. Uh, who has a bigger crowd? Well, Donald Trump, Tuesday night, or no, it was Monday night. Monday night. Yeah. Me, me, me. Here he is. But a young man who's got very little going for himself, <laughs> except he's got a great first name. He is, he challenged us. So we have, let's say, 35,000 people tonight, and he has 200 people, 300 people, not too good. Uh, so this is so reminiscent of the uh, inaugural crowd, right? Yeah. And Sean Spicer announcing the biggest crowd in history ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> to watch. Uh, the El Paso- He's watching on television. <laughs> the what? At least watching yeah. on television, maybe. Even then. But- so the El Paso Fire Department, I might have read this in playbook this morning. I read it somewhere. The El Paso Fire Department came out yesterday and said, as a matter of fact, uh, the crowd at Donald Trump's rally inside, inside, was 6,500. Yeah. Not 35,000. And maybe another 3,000 outside. So let's be generous and give him 10. And they said the crowd at uh, El Beto's thing had between 10 and 15,000. So uh, no surprise that Trump was misstating the truth here. Um, but this is was uh, this was kind of the start of 2020 because uh, Beto O'Rourke is very smart in in uh, framing himself as the opponent even before he's even announced. Yeah, I think and he may not, may not challenging but... Trump. I think he will if once you know look at the reception he got and the media attention. Uh, and he seemed like a hero to many Democrats uh, who you know standing up to Trump. Uh, on home turf uh, that he kind of debuted as a presidential candidate who has a good message 
that uh, we have to treat people with dignity, and he's written about this in posts on Medium. Uh, and uh, he is a you know someone that is very smart. Uh, that you know it's not unprecedented for uh, someone without as much experience as him to actually get elected, but doesn't happen very often. Right. Uh, I think the fact that um, that without uh, any campaign organization, uh, as you say, without being even an announced candidate, he doesn't have any staff, so far as I know right now, that Beto could just say, hey, if you don't agree with the wall, let's show up at this wherever, wherever they did, down the yeah. street from where Don Trump was, and that he could draw, let's just say, as big a crowd, it might even have been bigger, than the president of the United States with all the resources that he has and all the media ahead of time and everything is pretty phenomenal. He's a he's a rock star. There's a great New York Times story by, I think it was Matt Flegenheimer, about how Beto O'Rourke, his early years in New York City, where he was kind of a uh, you know, figuring out what he wanted to do and unsure, unsure of himself, uh, and no one knew that this guy could be a potential presidential candidate, and he was kind of a bum, uh, just uh, you know, tooling around. He was doing um, some child care, as I recall, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I or like as a nanny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and his friends were are pretty surprised that, but everyone knew that he was smart. But it's you know, people sometimes in their twenties are uh, misapplied in what they're doing, right? Figuring uh, it out. Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, what is your take on how Virginia is going to be able to resolve its current political crisis? Well, a lot of people I talk to, they want all three of those people to resign, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And so, uh, Justin Fairfax is losing a bunch of his staff already, so it's kind of a, a brain drain in his office because they don't want to work for someone who's been accused credibly of sexual assault at least twice. And uh, he still continues to preside over the Virginia Senate every day doing his job. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but Awkward. he's, he's on, uh, he's on leave from his law firm where he, that's his kind of day or his, his more of a paid job and then mm-hmm. being Lieutenant governor, you don't make that much money. Right. Uh, but uh, he has to decide if, if there's a way forward, because it's hard for oftentimes those are lieutenant governor jobs or stepping stones to sure. be governor, and uh, I don't see a ton of people wanting to vote for Fairfax for governor after this. Um, I saw this morning that I think it's front page of the Washington Post that something like 54% of African Americans in Virginia think Northam should stay. Yeah, they're I guess they're very forgiving, and they think Northam has changed. That Northam has uh, now is dedicated its governorship to improving the lives of minorities more than uh, most governors out there. By the way, it, it should be pointed but, out like that. That sounds like an impressive number, and it, and it is for all intents and purposes. But Ralph Northam also had eighty nine percent of the African American vote when, when he, he was yeah, elected. Yeah. So he had the approval of eighty nine percent. So if you look at it Let's that way, it's fallen. he's yeah. lost a little bit. But it does make it more difficult for the leaders of the Black Caucus who are saying that Northam has to resign when their constituents are telling them, no, we forgive the guy, give the guy a chance. Yeah. Uh, like you, I mean, I, 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 I think Northam should have resigned. I still think he should. But the longer this 
drags on, I think the more likely that all three of them Stay. remain in office unless um, Justin Fairfax is forced out. Or well, is charged with charged, a crime yeah. and found guilty. Although, is there an investigation even? No. No. It's happened a long time ago. and uh, that Neither one of these women have filed charges. Yeah. They made their accusation. He denied it. Uh, and it stays there unless they actually bring charges against and him. DA can't, you know... A DA can't uh, pursue charges even without the. I think you need a victim. You need a vic- but there is. I mean, you need the, a no. You, you need, need a victim a to come forward and file charges. I'm. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Certainly not a prosecutor. But I don't think you can do it on your own. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, and and those jurisdictions too, right? They're not. Although that w- those women, I think, have indicated that they they'd would be, be willing, willing to. to testify and at these uh, proceedings. They. Have but I don't think they think, have to file charges. But, yeah. Right. So it looks like, believe it or not, they may just, they may all three ride this out. As far as any political future, I don't think there is. But But, I know people are always asking, how does this affect Democrats in 2020 in Virginia? But I think the average voter, even people who are moderate Virginians, they may want to hold their nose uh, when they vote for any Democrats in 2020. But if it's a better work versus Donald Trump... Donald Trump is the one who's been credibly accused of sexual assault and uh, harassment allegations, not Bader work. And so uh, Donald Trump is the one who has had racist controversies, not Beto. And so if they want to make a stand against uh, those social evils, then uh, they can bemoan those Virginia state Democrats who are staying in office. But... Uh, I think Virginia is right. still, you know, going blue every day. The more direct impact may be not 2020, but well, the 2020, yes, but 20, no, 2019 and the legislative races, yeah, yeah. which are up in 2019, where people may be less inclined to. Yeah, especially because the Democrats, uh, because the Democrats have had letting these people right. go scot free. At the same time, uh, they're very close to getting control of both the. House and the Senate in Virginia, my gut is that Virginians will want the, both those houses to be Democratic, and they're not going to make them Republican just to get even just with Ralph fight, Northam. Yeah. But whatever. Um, are you are you know uh, on top of all fronts? Are we ever going to hear Michael Cohen back in front of the <laughs> <laughs> testifying again in front of the Congress? So I will read you a statement that Lenny Davis. Uh, oh, sent okay. about uh, so Senator Burr said Michael Cohen was seen like partying in New York City, uh, and you know in Burr fact, is the cha- let me just interrupt because one will play the clip of uh, this is Senator Burr. What what happened is he was supposed to testify. This was this is the third third time, time and for the third time he put it off again because allegedly he had he said he had shoulder surgery shoulder surgery yes. He was, and he was. He had he to was recover. In bed, he had to recover. He wishes he could make it. And then he was seen going out to dinner with some friends in New York, right? Yeah. So Senator Burr says, "I can assure you that any goodwill that might have existed in the committee with Michael Cohen is now gone. <laughs> no goodwill left no goodwill. for Michael Cohen. Okay, so now. So the statement, saying, Sen- despite Senator Burr's inaccurate comment, Mr. Cohen was expected to and continues to suffer." From severe post-shoulder surgery pain, as confirmed by a letter from a surgeon, which was sent to Senator Burr and Senator Warner, 
The medication Mr. Cohen is currently taking makes it impossible for him to testify this week. It should be noted that Mr. Cohen committed to all three committees that he would voluntarily testify before the end of the month. We believe Senator Burr should appreciate that it is possible for Mr. Cohen to be in pain and still have dinner in a restaurant with his wife and friends. So there we go from Lanny Davis. From an the, attorney for Mr. Cohen. <laughs> I'd like to think his wife was like spoon feeding him because you know because of the shoulder surgery he couldn't get that fork to his mouth, so he had to have someone baby bird it into his. How about mouth that wine glass? Him. Could he get that? Yeah, to yeah, you're right. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, I guess, needless to say, whenever he does appear, there may be a little. Um, I think they'll, they'll probably rib him up or criticize him for, you know, finally you're here, Mr. Cohen. Yeah. And we do know that the deadline is he's got to get there before March 6th oh, yes. because— Then he goes to the center. He has a date on March 6th to show up in whatever federal prison that he'll be. Maybe yeah. he'll be there with El Chapo. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think it's that. Mike Cohen's not going to Supermax. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Hi, Daniel. Good to see you. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. me. Uh, again, my reminder, sign up. Go to politico.com, sign up for a playbook, uh, and you will be as well-informed and as much amused as we are every day, twice a day. Thank you, Bill. Good to see you. Addie Baird joins us next from CAP. Think think Progress. That's part of CAP. (laughs) Coming up next. Quick break. We'll see you on just the other side. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. How about it for Wednesday, on a Wednesday, February 13, uh, the Bill Press Show. We start out here uh, in our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, and join you everywhere in this great country of ours, online, on the radio, and on television, uh, with the support today of the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. Check out their website at usw.org, the Steelworkers Uh, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Moving on with our take on the news of the day with the help of uh, Addie Baird from uh, Think Progress joining us uh, in studio. Uh, Good to see you again. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. How are things going? They're going. They're going. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? All right. We're good. Are you excited about the Green New Deal? I think it's pretty exciting. I think yeah. it's, uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think I it's too. clear that the left flank of the Democratic Party, you know, is having an influence um, on the party as a whole in a really fascinating and, and you know, of course, I think you and I can agree in an important way. And so I think that the, the Green New Deal and the support that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been able to, like, rack up around that is really impressive and, and encouraging. And what I think is is, is uh, pathetic is that the only response on the part of Republicans is to kind of mock it and make fun of it, right? It's socialism. Yeah, right. And, and these are the people, for them, a big, bold new deal is renaming a post office. Yeah, right. I mean, what have they done in the last 10 years? Name one big idea. Hardly, It's hardly... Uh, a tax cut for the wealthiest of Americans. I mean, well, and it's interesting. Duh. I think I think that Republicans would argue like that's the point. You know, government. You know, what was that Reagan quote that like the, the scariest words in the the nine scariest I'm words in the English Washington, language? I'm or, yeah, you. I'm from yeah. the government. I'm here to help. You know, I think Republicans would say like that's the point. We're not trying to do anything. <laughs> you know, and that's. I mean, take that uh, for what you will. You could speak to this better than I, but I believe. 
particularly millennials, young Americans today, uh, have had it with a do-nothing baby step Congress. They're looking for some bold new ideas for the 21st century. You know, don't get stuck in, I, I don't know, again, you know, one more continuing resolution and then members of Congress think, oh, man, we really accomplished something. We kept the government going for another three weeks. No, do something. We definitely know, you know, there's polling that repeatedly that has found that Republicans have a young person problem. And I think it is also interesting. Um, establishment Democrats, you know, a little bit more anecdotally have a young person so, problem. I know. Young people so, are not scared of socialism. That's not a bad word to us, you know. And I think that that's fascinating. We know that that both well, parties, you know, Republicans in particular, are losing young people. Right. It is interesting. There is sort of socialism. First of all, uh, it started actually in 19, this this idea, this attack started with uh, Harry Truman in 1947 when he came up with his brand of health insurance for all, right? And the American Medical Association hired this PR firm, Whitaker and Baxter in California, and they came up with, they invented this phrase, socialized medicine. And so that socialized medicine or socialism, they've been using it now for, what, 70 years, right? To some effect then, but I, I think you're right. Today, look, Bernie Sanders got over 12 million votes in the primary as a democratic socialist. Right, right. Right? And, and at people the same time, oh, well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say, people didn't make that a big deal in the primary. Now, I think they would have tried to in the general election. I agree. I don't think it would have had any impact in the general election. I agree. And, you know, I think it's interesting at the same time. I think the branding of Medicare for All as Medicare for All is really smart because I do too. it sounds so much less scary. You know, you know, it's it's not that you and I think well, socialized medicine would be bad because Medicare for All is socialized medicine, but people love Medicare. And to brand this version of single payer as Medicare for all is really smart, I think. It is. It's better than single payer. Sure. For example. Yeah. I mean, because people know people on Medicare. Medicare has been around. Medicare works. It is cost effective. It delivers a great product. It has saved people from poverty. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's win-win all yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. Across. Right. But, but so back to socialism. E.J. E. Dion <laughs> back in the to Washington the socialism. Back to the socialism. <laughs> but E.J. Dion made a, had an interesting column on this a couple of days ago in the Washington Post that when you talk about socialism, you know, yeah, there is that old form of when the Soviet Union, socialist Soviet Union, existed, that might have been state ownership of everything. You know, that extreme form of socialism. There's that. For most people, younger people, particularly again today, socialism just means um, good health care, good job, good benefits, you know, um, good public education, good opportunities. Uh, that's what they see as that's what today's socialism is, if you will. Right. And they're not afraid. Of, they're not afraid of that. They want that. And it's interesting. There are you know, I talk to a so, lot of people who talk about about socialism as a, as dismantling sort of the rule of capitalism and what and that sounds big and scary to a lot of people but what that means in practice is everything that you just outlined better health care better jobs guaranteed jobs you're able to pay your rent your landlord can't hold everything over your head your and 
that isn't scary to people. Uh, in fact, this is above my pay grade, but some economists have pointed out that, in fact, socialism has saved capitalism because it has put a, a human face, if you will, on capitalism with things like worker benefits, vacation benefits, health care, and those things. So it has rounded off the rough edges, if you will, of right. capitalism. And the success of capitalism in this country, which it has been hugely successful and still is, uh, is largely is largely because of the socialist, if you will, reforms that have accompanied it. We so. know two things for sure. The first is that capitalism uh, cannot exist without periodic crises um, and that unions gave us the five day work week, um, you know, the nine to five schedule, the and and so we the middle those, class. Exactly. So these things exist at the same time. Unions are saving the middle class, the working class every time that capitalism reaches the point of crisis, which it inevitably will. That is inherent in capitalism. Right. And um, I think that's so, a really interesting point that. Socialism has saved it in those moments of crises. Yeah. Uh, so Green Deal, I think the uh, Green New Deal, to me, it's a bold, big, bold, hugely important set of goals that we ought to be striving toward. Uh, and when we see, you know, it's all got to be translated now into legislation. It's never going to happen. Nobody says it's going to happen all at once. Yeah. Everything they talk about overnight uh, and when we see a bill on, for example, the high-speed rail c- component of it, you know that, that some of it will be good, some bad. They're going to tinker with it. They'll, but at least we, you set the goals first, right, and applaud the goals and not. So I would say Republicans, fine, make fun of it all you want, but Democrats should not be afraid of it. Did you see how Nancy big, Pelosi? Did you see the comments Nancy Pelosi plans. made about it in in uh, that Politico? Uh, magazine article. Yeah, she said green dream. The green or... dream. She was like, nobody knows what it is, but they support it anyway. That's so derisive. That's a huge problem, I think. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> like uh, every I leading presidential candidate supports Alexandria Ocasio Cortez <laughs> came back beautifully with that. Yeah, she didn't attack Nancy. She just said, you know what? She's right. It is a big dream, and yeah. we should dream big. Yeah, yes. I mean, she's really quite remarkable. The way that she has really. Um, harnessed this moment you know i everyone right. said it but okay. it really is remarkable right. so i will leave you with this thought daniel burnham who was uh, the architect who designed union station and who designed wcpt are you listening who des- came up with a city plan for chicago daniel burnham great american architect who said make no little plans they have no magic to stir men's blood that's very nice. That nice. I love that. So, <laughs> big plan. Men or women's blood, we should say today. Sure. But anyhow, all right. Um, you've been writing about Virginia. What's the answer? I mean, if I knew, I would make a lot more money. I mean, the answer is that Northam needs to resign. Um, this is untenable. Um, you know, and yesterday he released a statement um, touting the fact that he has restored uh, voting rights, right to serve on a jury, right to serve as a notary public to about 10,000 Virginians um, who uh, have felony convictions. Virginia is one of three states that permanently bans people Thanks with- Terry Mc- Well, well but- so basically Virginia is one of three states that permanently bans people with felony convictions from voting. 
Terry McAuliffe um, and and some of his predecessors kind of laid the groundwork for this, but Terry McAuliffe in particular uh, decided to get around this. Oh, yeah. um, Terry, Terry, I give him credit for that, for absolutely. the right to vote. Yeah. Right. So what he you're granted North the right Am- to vote to about 170,000 Virginians. He tried to do about 206,000. A court yeah. struck it down. Yeah. Um, and he made it his really the work of his administration, especially in the last 18 months, to restore the rights to 173,000 people. Um, and, and whatever you think of Terry McAuliffe, that is remarkable. Um, Look, I'm a big fan of Terry McAuliffe. So I think he's a great governor. And and I'll tell you on that, because I've talked to him about that, the court struck it down. You're yes. right. And and he inquired why. And the court said, because you can't do this uh, en masse. You can't right. do it. Boom. So he said, all right, I'll do it individually. Yeah. He said, all right, you bring me 175,000 pieces of paper and I'll sign every last freaking one did. of them. And he did. He sat there and he signed <clears throat> each one individually. So that's Leadership. really important context for what happened, for what Northam, nothing happened yesterday. It wasn't news. It's something he's done in the past. He, uh, the pace at which McAuliffe was working was about 150,000 people per year. Mm -hmm. Um, Since Ralph Northam took office, he has restored rights to 10,000 people. That is about, that is less than a tenth of the pace at which McAuliffe was working. Um, And Northam released this uh, number yesterday in with this statement that was like, look how great we are. Look how dedicated we are. To, you know, and, and without saying, like, we really care about people of color, like, this is obvious in this because of how disproportionately people of color are affected. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you actually dig into it, uh, he's, this has been a much less, you know, this has been much less important to the North administration than it was for the McAuliffe administration. Um, and it was, I, I talked to some some activists and, you know, I, I've covered this issue a fair amount, and it's kind of gross. He had his comment, his um, his quote in this statement was like, "You know, I really believe in second chances, and to use people with felony convictions who have had their rights stripped from them as political pawns to show that you deserve after." A racist photo surfaces to remain governor is disgusting. It's gross. I agree with you that he should resign. I said that on day one. Uh, I got news for you. He's not going to. He's not going anywhere. I I know he won't. Uh, So it looks like he's going to ride it out. Uh, You've also written about Justin Fairfax. I have. Does he ride it out? Ride it out. I think he does too. It's really different, but I think he does as well. Really? I think that basically one, they all stay or they all go. Um, they're different. One's a crime and one's not. I know, but this is the era that we're living in. Like, I don't think that. I mean, for for your listeners, um, two women have now accused the lieutenant governor Justin Fairfax of sexual assault, um, serious sexual assault, yes, right? Um, Rape in one case. Yeah, it is. It is. And Fairfax is denying it. Um, you know, and and you're totally right. They're really different things but i think that they're sort of bound up in each other these these men and then then the uh, attorney general has also come forward and said that there is a photo of him as a young person in blackface and i think that they're all going to stick together on this i think that northam basically saying like i'm not going anywhere has given the two of them the opening to say like 
for in Fairfax's case, these are lies. And, you know, in in Herring's case, like, I'm a new I'm a I'm a different person. It doesn't matter. And, you know, they're all sort of bound up in each other. And if they're all going to write it out, I think that's their plan. Aren't they, in effect, following the Trump model? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, this is this is a even though they are all Democrats, that is what Trump has created. This is the environment he's created. Deny, deny, deny. And just bulldoze people. I I saw someone got in some trouble. There was a a pundit, a Democratic pundit who was weighing in and saying, kind of putting the blame of of this on Trump. And I don't think that's fair. These people made stupid decisions (laughs) and bad decisions and possibly criminal decisions. Uh, But there is something to be said about how politicians have now learned what you can get away with when you don't admit your fault and when you don't back down and when you don't give up your seat. That's exactly survive. That's exactly the thing. It's it's not Trump's fault is they made their own decisions and their uh, their, they or their alleged own decisions in the case of Fairfax. Um, But they learned how to stay here from Trump. Yeah. Uh, I I just flashed into my head. I have to say, I'm sorry that Al Franken did not learn that lesson. Al Franken could have toughed it out. I disagree. Still be a senator. I think that I think that they should what all learn did, from Al me, Franken. What he did or what he was accused of is a lot less than what Justin Fairfax. But I don't has think that. Of. But I don't think that that means that Franken should stay. I think that's proof that. Franken Franken I, left, I, and that's proof that being accused of much worse means you definitely also have to go. Uh, what I'm saying is that Franken could have refused to go and survived and still be a United States senator today. I think you I are right were. that he could have. I don't think that he should have. All right. Well, we can disagree on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, the, 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 but the fly in the ointment here could be, we talked about this a little bit with Daniel Lippmann, neither one of us was sure, but... Um, if Fairfax is charged with a crime and found guilty, then that's a different story. It is. But so far, these women who have made the accusation have not followed through by filing any charges, correct? Uh, yeah, and, and I'm not and sure they, that the statute of limitations is uh, up. I was told that in Massachusetts it has not run out. Okay. I don't know about the other one, which... Okay. Which... Predated Massachusetts, I think. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. did, right? So it may have. Yeah. Don't know. It's so complicated, and and you know the other thing is, it's up to it's up to women in any case to decide whether or not to press charges because s- there's legitimate reasons not to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did make the decision to come forward. Yeah. Which which takes a lot of courage. Yeah. In an, in and of itself. Right. right. And pressing charges. And by the way, I means, believe both women. Right, but. and and pressing charges means that you have to continue to relive this. You have to continue to talk about it. You have to continue to, you know. And if and and so, I understand. Even if the statute of limitations has not expired, why they might not want to do it. But it would become a very different situation if he were charged with a crime and found guilty. Right. Uh, sort of in 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 talking about the way things have changed and politicians can do things today that they never did before. Um, uh, another example of that, totally different, but another example of that is Kamala Harris. It wasn't so long ago 
that nobody running for president would ever admit that they smoked pot. And not only that they smoked it, but they think everybody should be able to legally in this country, recreational marijuana. Kamala Harris out in front on that big mistake. Did you see that? Someone figured out that maybe she was lying, too, about having actually smoked pot in college or, like, the situation of it? No. Okay. So let's back up. Okay. This is a much more fun conversation. This story is nuts. This story is amazing. I believe she smoked There's a few things happening here. The first is that the Breakfast Club has become like a go-to stop on the campaign trail, which is hilarious. Booker was there. I believe Hillary Clinton went two years ago. Um, But Kamala Harris goes to the Breakfast Club and uh, gets asked uh, if she supports legalizing marijuana. She says she does. We'll come back to that. And then she gets asked, of course, have you ever smoked weed? And she's like, oh, yeah, like I did, like in college. And their follow-up question is like, what music was playing while you were smoking? And Or no, they were like, do you remember your first high? And she was like, yeah, definitely, even though that's not how smoking weed works, um, (laughs) according to friends of mine. Um, And then she's like, we were listening to Tupac. So someone figured out that Kamala Harris graduated from college in 86, and Tupac's first album didn't come out till 91. And so... this is just like either she's like lying about when it was oh, or like BFD. Let me I, tell you something. No, I think, yeah, it, sorry, I think it is so me funny. What music was playing when I first smoked pot in what San Francisco? It? Are you kidding? I don't have the faintest but, you know, but Bill, idea. wouldn't you say I don't have any idea? The fact that she either was like, I think that she, I think she has smoked weed, but the fact that she was like, it was definitely Tupac is like such a, she is like a such fa- a. I, I, I think that's well, silly. Here's, here's she the, might be a fan of his, and she just remembers she used to listen to him a lot, and she conflates the here, two. Here's I mean, what I think is. is she is, was high. <laughs> no, she wasn't. <laughs> here's what I think is interesting about this is it's clear she wasn't telling the truth, and I don't think it's a big, I honestly don't think it's a big deal. I really don't think it's, it's a big just deal. very funny. But it's hilarious, but it's also. Telling to see how many politicians ran from the question. Yes. Oh, yeah. I never smoked weed. No, I, I would never. Or Bill Clinton, right. I smoked weed, but I never inhaled. Yeah. To where she's actually making up stories about how she used to get high. To make it, yeah. like, as I mean, cool as get, possible. Let's get, not get too critical about these so the, people here. The thing know? is, I mean, come the on. thing worth there actually things, digging there are, into. There are other critis- things you can criticize Kamala Harris about so this is the like thing. her record as a prosecutor, right? So this is the, the real thing. This is silly. I think that the I think that the whole thing about like it, graduating in '86, like it is, is very funny. It's not a big deal. What is a big deal is that Kamala Harris now says, "Of course, I support legalizing marijuana." Um, in 2014, she laughed in the face of a reporter who asked her if she supported legalizing marijuana. Uh, her Republican opponent at the time while she was running for re-election uh, as California Attorney General ardently supported legalizing marijuana. She gets asked, what do you think of his position? She pauses, goes, well, he's entitled to his opinion, and then just laughs. Um Kamala Harris has a long history as a prosecutor um, that is really disturbing. 
um, for anyone for anyone who calls themselves a progressive. She upheld wrongful convictions. Uh, she worked to uh, keep sex work criminalized in California, despite what sex workers and their allies said about how safe decriminalization could make them. Right. Um, she instituted a truancy program that would have put parents in jail uh, if their children were not in school. Um, and and all of this is the real problem. All of this and the way that she refuses to acknowledge this past, of course, we're early. She's going to have to. But this is much more disturbing. No, no, no. Absolutely. I just said earlier, her record as a prosecutor yeah. is all legitimate stuff. Yeah. And all of those issues that you talked about, and she is going to have to explain all of those. But the idea that she is on this issue, that she's willing as a presidential candidate, no BS, just to come out and say, yes, I support the legalization of recreational marijuana nationwide. I applaud her for that. And I think it took a lot of guts. And it just shows also, the point I was making originally is, how we've, boy, oh, didn't realize the time's <laughs> fly by. How we've changed. That we get to the point where brave new world. You could do this and still be, you gotta admit, a serious presidential yep. candidate. Yeah. So everybody else ought to get some Oh, oh Siri. <laughs> what are you doing? Siri just popped up. Uh, hey, that's Siri's it, folks. Thanks, Daddy. <laughs>